Hey, everybody. Um, so I hope you're blessed by worship today. You probably gather when you see somebody else up there um, other than me that um, Corey must not be here or he's preaching or something like that. So you get that one today. I'm, I'm actually going to be sharing some things with you guys. Um, I do want to say uh, thank you. Mary Jo um, mentioned, but last week at our fall thanks giveaway, we had an absolute blast. It was such a cool time blessing the community. Um, I heard some people say they counted about 300 people here. Um, we had uh, 12, 11 or 12 turkeys, and we ate them all. Like they were every, all, well, there's so few leftovers. Last week, I could not believe how much food. We, our church, the volunteers in our church, literally prepped and made and served uh, Thanksgiving dinner to 300, uh, including us, probably 350 people, um, which is quite an accomplishment. We served and blessed and just loved on a lot of people last week. Um, thank you guys so much. That was such a cool thing, seeing our church step up and, uh, and be the hands and feet of Christ in our community. Um, it was one of those things I was sort of nervous going into it because I just did not know where the train wrecks would happen, where, where um, uh, if people would show up. I mean, we advertised and we got the word out, but you just never know. Um, and God really came through for us. Um, I'm excited to see um, just in the future how those things happen in, in our church, just how we, we all just kind of come together. We all um, step up in various ways to use whatever gifting God has, has given us to make stuffing, to say hello, and all those things are things that God can use um, to, to spread his love. I had some things I wanted to um, share with you today. Get my iPad opened up. Um, I have something on my heart that I'd, I'd like to, um, I hope is an encouragement and a challenge for us as a church um, and this is one of those days where I honestly don't know uh, how God plans to bring it together and um, where honestly, uh, it's, it, what honestly we'll, we'll come away with today because it's really coming from this point of um, kind of just some vulnerability in my life. And uh, I think often um, times those messages tend to be the most impactful, but uh, they can also be the scariest, the scariest ones to share. Before I jump in, though, um, I'd like to share some things with you all. Sometimes God takes us on a journey or through seasons of life, and we don't know exactly why we had to go through whatever that was. Uh, we, we talked about a little of this when we were studying Job a few months ago in Mission 119, it's like, okay, God, why was that necessary? Why did I have to go through that? Other times we feel like we're just kind of wandering around aimlessly. We're waiting for God to make things clear or help us understand where he's leading us and directing us and, uh, and for just things to make sense. It's only that when we do get to that place we're able to look back and then we understand and we actually can see, okay, God, that's what you are doing there. There are many things in our life that we experience where we really just want God to tell us 
or show us what it is that he, what it, what the thing that he wants us to do, the thing he has for us to do. But that's often not how he works. He really just wants us to trust uh, and not worry so much about the actual steps we need to take, the process or the eventual outcome. He wants us to be content on the journey and know that through whatever we experience, he uses every circumstance, trial, situation, everything um, he uses, he uses to help us and to prepare us to enter into whatever it is that he's calling us into. It's like, imagine you have a three-year-old and for some reason, this is probably none of your three-year-olds, definitely not mine, but imagine for some reason she becomes absolutely obsessed with college. Thinking about college, making sure her entrance exam scores are good enough, what her major is going to be, whether she's going to like her academic advisor. I mean, what would you do? You'd be like, look, child, simmer down. You'll get there someday. But seriously, let's focus on some other things right now. Let's focus on learning how to pick up your toys, maybe learning your ABCs, you know, those types of things. Three-year-olds don't need to be worried about college. I feel like some of us shortchanged the process. We want it all too soon. I also think that God, that if God just came out right out and, and, and said, this is the direction, this is the destination, this is the thing I have for you to do. I think if he did that, most of us would either run or we would, could potentially ruin the thing that he has for us because we weren't ready for it yet. Can you think of instances like that in your life? It's crazy looking back and seeing the journey God has taken us on and how it reminds us that we usually don't know how things will turn out. But if, that if we're willing and humble enough, we can see the process, that the process was actually preparing us. Well, I'm in one of those seasons right now in my own life. And over the last year or so, Ashley and I have been doing a lot of asking and praying about the call of ministry that I believe God's placed on my life and on my family's life. It hasn't been an easy season for us and has really stretched our ability to look to God and not know the answers or think that we have it all figured out because we certainly don't. I've been completely amazed at how God has worked in my life, giving me the skills and the abilities even to be here today speaking to you all. And believe it or not, when I was a teenager, I thought I was one of the most tongue-tied people ever. I mean, and I couldn't, my, my brain, I could hold a, a thought for three seconds and then uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't catch it. It was gone. And so the idea of speaking in front of people was definitely not something I, I aspired to, let alone leading worship and doing all the things that you see me doing. These are things I never would have imagined God using me to do. And if you had said to the 20-year-old me in college taking prerequisites for dental school that 
I would learn how to play the guitar and lead worship at a small mountain village in Indonesia as a missionary. Or that I would go to seminary and eventually work in full-time ministry. If you told me that, I wouldn't have believed you. In fact, I might have run away and said, heck no. That's not what I'm going to be doing with my life. That's not me. This is where I think a lot of us find ourselves. We expect God to just lay it all out for us, and then we get discouraged when he doesn't quite do that. So we find ourselves doing a lot of waiting, wondering and asking why. Why did I go through that thing? Why did, I, why did you not answer that prayer the way I was wanting? Or when will this situation begin to work out for me? Hopefully we come to a place where we can realize that he was preparing us and equipping us and building us up so that we could move forward and walk into whatever it is that he has for us. And this is where I've found myself over the course of this last year. It's definitely not an easy thing to share with you all today, and I hope it doesn't catch you by too much of a surprise or hurt some of you, but my, my hope is to not feel that you have been alienated through this process, the way that God has been working in my life. But this coming January, I'll be taking quite a step of faith. I'll be leaving new life to begin a crazy new season that I honestly would have never imagined myself doing in any other time in my life. I'll be going into the military, serving as an active duty chaplain in the Air Force. I'm not going to lie, there's a lot about this that is quite scary and surreal, but another part of me really feels this confidence that God is with me and leading me through whatever the future might hold. As much as this might come as a surprise to many of you, but serving in the military was actually, serving in the military as a chaplain was actually something I had thought about quite a while ago when I was in seminary, about nine years ago. I even started the process and paperwork, but I pulled back. I think I felt completely in over my head, like, what am I doing? Me in the military? Some of you are probably thinking that same thing right now. I think I wasn't quite sure of myself at the time or really what it was that God was calling me into. I don't know whether he, it wasn't his timing or just wasn't, I just wasn't quite, quite ready for it then. But the idea of the military life, deployments, leaving my family for weeks at a time for training and countless possible uncertainties, I didn't think that was for me. In fact, I didn't really want to have anything to do with that. A while back, I had a conversation with a friend of mine, Steve, who is, uh, who is also an Air Force chaplain. And our talk really changed my perspective. 
He said, you have to think about chaplaincy as if you are a missionary in the military. It's not a missionary from the standpoint of um, you're there to evangelize and seek and save the lost, you know, like how we normally think of what a missionary might do. The role of a chaplain is that you're really a pastor to the men and women who serve in the military. You're there to encourage, support, offer a sense of spiritual hope to people who are often in very difficult situations. When you're a missionary, it's all about building bridges. Bridging the message of the gospel into every language, culture, and context around the world. And in order to do that, you need to learn the language, the customs, and the culture of the people that God has called you to. But the biggest part of this is you need to go where those people are. When my friend Steve told me this, I immediately understood something that I had been missing before. This is why you go through the trainings, the deployments, and face the same difficult and uncertain situations that everyone else does. In order to build a bridge, that's what it takes. I'm not saying I'm not nervous or anxious about any of this because I am, but I've grown to see these things as connected to the call of this ministry and not just negative aspects to a job. And so in January, I'll be officially leaving here to go to Alabama for about eight weeks of officer training. My family will be here until I'm done, and then they'll be moving. Um, the military will be moving them to, uh, along with me to the Air Force base that I'll be at in Oklahoma. It really could be worse. <laughs> I'll be at Vance Air Force Base in Enid, Oklahoma. I'll be working with three other chaplains, ministering to 4,000 active duty and reserve men and women who are stationed at that base. If you watched the news this week, you might have heard about two pilots who were killed at this base in a training exercise. The need for ministry in the military is huge. I have no idea how God will use me and my family to help others during this season. But my hope and prayer is that we will be a light, that we will be able to point people to Christ. It's obviously a very difficult transition with lots of moving parts and things to figure out. To add another layer to the cake, my wife is also pregnant with baby number three. <laughs> I asked if I could share that, and she said I figured you would anyway, so I guess. <laughs> baby number three is on the way. We'll be due in May. So while I'm away, Ashley will be five to seven months pregnant in the dead of winter in upstate New York, trying to make uh, sure our house sells before we have to move. She'll be around for a little while after I leave, but please be thinking of her and praying for her. My, uh, me leaving during this time is honestly the hardest part about this for me. 
I'm telling you this firstly because I think it's important to let you know it's big news, but also because you are my church family and we need you tremendously in this next season. Thanks. When I came into this position about three and a half years ago, I had no idea what was on the other side. We came from quite a time of ministry, quite a season of difficult ministry before arriving here. And our season at New Life has been healing and rejuvenating for us. It's helped strengthen Ashley and I's marriage, helped has helped us build a Christ-centered foundation for our kids. So thank you for that. The church is truly a special place. So I've been kind of talking for a bit and sharing, and believe it or not, I actually do have a little bit of a message I'd like to share with you all today. It was extremely hard preparing for this because it's not easy to share these kinds of things and it just, it does make you feel a little vulnerable and exposed, which isn't bad, but you know, when you're up here, it's not a fun feeling. Believe it or not, this will likely be the last time you hear me preach at New Life, which is kind of sad. Maybe. For me it is. (laughs) As I was thinking and praying about today, I really felt like I needed to approach this message a little bit different. I wanted to think about the things I believe God has uniquely gifted new life to be and called new life to be as a church. And these are things I have seen in our church over the the time that I've been here and I think truly make us special. I want to spend a few minutes sharing about this idea of community. Last week, Pastor Nathan spoke from Colossians 3 about how God calls us to love one another, to bear with each other, to let the peace of Christ in our hearts, and that whatever we do, whether in word or deed, we do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And today, I want to dive into this a little further. But from the standpoint of how it impacts us individually in the body of Christ and in our daily life, what is my place in all of this and how should it impact the way I live? In October, my wife and I, we, we went to Charleston, South Carolina to celebrate our seventh wedding anniversary. It was our first time going. We had a blast. We swam in the ocean in October and did not need a wetsuit. It was 80 degrees. It was just gorgeous. And the food was amazing. I, I think I ate shrimp and grits three times a day while we were there. It was a very beautiful place, for those of you who haven't been. When we were there, we went to this place called Boone Hall Plantation. Some of you may have heard of it. 
Boone Hall is the oldest continuously operating plantation in the United States. It was started in 1681, a long time ago, by a guy named John Boone. <clears throat> John, John was an Englishman who was also one of the first settlers of the colony of South Carolina. He was also very influential in establishing in the establishment of South Carolina. And two of his grandkids were actually signers on the Declaration of Independence. So he was a pretty important guy in the um, start of our country. John had a vision to plant this magnificent alley of oak trees leading up to the home that he lived in on the plantation. And these oak trees that John decided to use were some of the slowest growing trees around, but they were also some of the most hardy and withstanding. He knew this wouldn't happen overnight, but that didn't stop him from starting. And in the early 1700s, he began this tenuous process of digging, planting, and transplanting trees, some of which were already 100 years old. The whole process of building the alley took over a hundred years. It wasn't until the 1830s that it was done. So he didn't even live to see its completion, but the avenue of oaks at Boone Hall Plantation would eventually become one of the most photographed avenues of its kind in the world. You've probably seen it in movies, seen, seen it in TV shows, seen pictures of it, paintings of it. It really is a gorgeous place. Um, the avenue consists of about 88 massive oak trees, some as old as 500 years. Crazy. They run for about three quarters of a mile and span both sides of the road leading up to the home at the plantation. And for those of you who are interested, um, you can get married here for a small facility fee of $50,000, but it doesn't include chairs, so you still need a budget for that. <laughs> While we were there, we took a tour of the plantation, and the tour guide told us a lot of really cool things about the history of the property, how it had been among the battlegrounds of two wars, the Revolution and Civil War, how it had been stricken by hurricanes, countless storms, droughts, fires, even earthquakes. And then economic turmoil and difficulties that spanned over four centuries. During the Civil War, many of the buildings and structures on the plantation were either pillaged or burned. There was not much left. But in the midst of all this, the Avenue of Oaks survived. Some historians say the avenue is the only surviving link between the modern-day era and the old antebellum South. Our tour guide told us that the reason for the avenue's survival is that the root system of the trees have become so intertwined that when one tree begins to suffer or not do very well, the other trees help sustain it. And they, the nutrients from those trees help it to become healthy again. So because of this, the avenue has endured 
and withstood centuries of volatile and hostile conditions. Pretty cool, huh? It was a really powerful image for me that I think God used to help me understand the value and need for community in the church. It's this picture of lifting others up, selflessness, and really just embracing the reality that as Christians, we can't do it alone, and we need each other. And this, this is the thing I love about new life. It's a place of community. In Paul's first letter to the Christians who are living in Thessalonica, he starts off giving instructions on how a Christian should conduct themselves in everyday life. Lots of things, leaders, you know, we got the example of what an elder should be and all that kinds of stuff. Then he writes an encouragement to believers as the days get darker and things get more difficult as the return of Christ nears. And then he finishes the letter with a challenge to believers to do everything possible to strive for unity. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 12, Now we ask of you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge that who acknowledge those who work hard among you who care for you in the land in the lord care for you in the lord and to admonish you hold, hold them up in the highest regard and love because of their work live in peace with each other we urge you brothers and sisters warn those who are idle and disruptive and encourage the disheartened help the weak be patient with everyone make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. When I was little in kids' church, if you want really three simple verses to memorize and feel like, I just memorized three verses today, right there, 16, 17, and 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for us. Such a powerful reminder in every situation we find ourselves in. I love how the message reads um, this passage. It says, Get along among yourselves, each of you doing your part. Our counsel is that you warn the freeloaders to get a move on. Gently encourage the stragglers and reach out for the exhausted, pulling them to their feet. Be patient with each other, attentive to individual needs, and be careful that when you get on each other's nerves, you don't snap at each other. Look for the best in each other and always do your best to bring it out. Be cheerful no matter what happens. Pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. The context here is that it's about persevering together, pressing in while realizing we can't finish this race on our own. That's why I love the beauty of this image of the Avenue of Oaks. In Charleston, it was just, if it was just one tree on its own, maybe it might survive 
a hurricane or two, maybe even through a war. But one tree by itself isn't strong enough to withstand everything that comes its way. This is an image of what community looks like in the body of Christ. And the analogy of the body of Christ is it's bigger than just you or me or any person. It is everyone and it takes everyone. When someone is struggling along the wayside, we help them up. When someone is broken or, or hurting, we come alongside them. When someone has been neglected or shunned or told by the world that they are inadequate, we help them realize their identity in Christ so they can see themselves the way that Jesus sees them. But the hard part for us is that many times behaving this way is not always easy or convenient. It often requires sacrifice. Sacrificing our time, our resources, our energy, or maybe a little bit of our emotional well-being. I think many of us can relate to that. I can't deal with that person. All I get is feeling drained, annoyed, and depleted. In the body of Christ, we need to remember that no one is better than anyone. You aren't above being more. You aren't above being there for someone. To give of yourself, to pray with someone, or to love them. And, you're especially, and you especially aren't beneath reaching out and saying, I need help. I need prayer. I need a shoulder. I need someone who can come alongside me to help me face what's before me. What we find is that church is really a place made up of a lot of imperfect people. Some of us might think we're doing okay, and others might be really struggling. And then we see this flip-flop. But regardless, we find that we are always, we are all broken and imperfect in some sense. Even though your brokenness might be different than another person's brokenness, there's a reason that God designed it this way, though. It helps us remember the grace and mercy he poured out for us on the cross. Romans 15, 5, it says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. What is it that we're really called to is the body of Christ. It's about loving our neighbor as ourself, learning to sacrifice and surrender and allowing the fruit of the Spirit to shine in our life, spurring one another on to love and good works, building them up in Christ. If you're here today thinking, I'm good, I can, change, I can, I can hang on to the fringe, I really don't need anybody at least that close to me in my life, especially when it comes to being vulnerable or real. If that's you, either you might be living with this false idea or sense of reality where eventually you realize you can only go so far before you hit a wall. Your Christian walk eventually becomes constricted and doesn't produce fruit. Or maybe you look around at others and believe 
at other believers and think, why would I want to be in community with them? They have nothing they can offer me. I just get annoyed and frustrated with how shallow and superficial things are, and I don't know that it would be a benefit. I, I know people, not here, but who knows where your heart might be in this, but the reason they choose not to enter into a deeper relationship with people at their church is because they think they are above the level of what everyone else can offer them. Like their expectations from what they would receive from a small group or a discipleship group or just serving alongside others. Their expectations are really that it's about what's in it for them. What can I get? The involvement, their involvement in church always comes down to whether their preferences are being met, whether they feel like it's feeding them. Instead of what can I get, we need to be asking what can I give? The other attitude we often carry when it comes to being real and community and vulnerable is if people found out what I really am like, who I really am or what I've really done, if they find out what I'm going through, they would probably not accept me here. It doesn't matter if this is your first Sunday or you've been coming for 20 years. Every single one of us can carry this kind of guilt and shame. In this situation, we're often more content to just put, up a smile, put on a smile, put up a wall, and act like everything really is okay. But the problem is you're not fooling anyone. I know that because we've all made mistakes, we've all screwed up, we all are facing different things in our life or have or will, Every single person in here is imperfect. Shocker. I'm sorry to tell you. It shouldn't come as a huge surprise, at least from your spouse. <laughs> You're like, yes, honey, I know. <laughs> but we need to get rid of this attitude of guilt and shame in the church. There is too much at stake. Our Christian walk is not about doing it on our own. And those of you who are trying to do that, I encourage you today, get to know the people around you. Open up to them, pray with them, and pray for them. I've shared a lot today, and I hope something I've said this morning has been an encouragement to you as much as there's probably things that haven't been or not something you want to hear, but I've spent a lot of time thinking and praying about what to share with you all today and exactly the best way to get it out. But the thing I really want to leave with you is this. Church is not about the flash. It's not about the hip new music or having an awesome worship team, although... What can you say? <laughs> Having the coolest dressed pastors or, why are you laughing? 
or having sermons that rival the 59 seconds of hope on Air One. It might be easy to feel comfortable and even safe in that kind of church. And there's nothing wrong with desiring your pastor to look a little bit better or the worship team to sound a little bit better. But we need to be able to separate what is and isn't crucial to what the body of Christ is called to. I wasn't saying you don't dress well. I'm just saying us in general. (laughs) I was just thinking. (laughs) I'll get a look tomorrow morning. (laughs) So, Corey, you don't think I dress good, huh? Well, I don't don't dress good. (laughs) There is something very special and unique about our church. It has really impacted me over the years that I've been here in more ways than I can actually say. But the goal at New Life isn't about being the coolest church on the block. We don't have nifty electronic kids check-in stations, although maybe that'll change someday. We don't have cool sermon bumper videos at the start when Nathan starts to preach. And our services might not be as polished or refined or as high energy as some other churches you might think of. But I hope that through this message today, you see that the things that, these things are hardly the surface of what makes a church. It doesn't even really count for what church is about. In fact, I think these things almost become distractions and give us a false sense of how we're actually doing as individuals, and as a church. The culture at New Life is about community and authenticity and being genuine with each other and what God is doing in our life. And this hasn't happened by accident. The elders and leaders and members of our church are constantly praying that this would be a place where people would truly encounter the presence of God where a genuine life transformation and renewal would occur and that the Holy Spirit would be radiant in our life so that everyone would be drawn to him. Our church is blessed with amazing and diligent prayer warriors. We're also blessed with a pastor who is not afraid to go where God is leading. When I describe Pastor Nathan to people that might not know him, the only way I can think is that he is probably one of the most relational, caring, and empathetic leaders I've ever served with. His desire is genuinely for the spiritual well-being of every single one of you. He is a shepherd. And I think his heart as a leader, is very much a barometer of the culture that exists here at New Life. That make up for... (laughs) 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 My encouragement for you today is simple. Don't do this alone. If you've been coming to New Life for a while or if you're newer, 
but haven't really gotten past the surface, introduce yourself to someone. Someone new, join a small group, get involved in a way that allows you to have an opportunity to develop meaningful relationships with others. Others who can come alongside you and grow with you, be your friend and encouragement in difficult situations, in difficult moments, and to be your fellow prayer warrior. For those of you who feel like this is your church, you're connected, you have friends, you're serving, maybe you've been in some sort of discipleship group, small group for quite some time. My challenge is don't become comfortable there. Don't think I have my group, I'm content. I don't need to do anything more than I already am. We need to stop thinking that way. We need to step out, out of what's comfortable in our situation. We need to be pouring into others. If you've been coming to New Life for a while and there's someone you really don't know, a newer person, or maybe just somebody who sits on the other side of the sanctuary, reach out to them. Get to know them because you could very well be the only sense of community that that person experiences here. It does require us to be proactive. We need to get rid of this idea that if we're doing badly and if people find out our life isn't perfect, we'll somehow be looked down upon. And we especially need to not think that if we happen to be doing fine, then everyone else must be too. There are hurting people in this room. There are broken people in this room. And there are people who desperately need a touch from God in this room. We need to be there for those people. Amen. Let's stand together. I just want to read that passage from Thessalonians one more time. It says, For us to encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for this morning. God, thank you for our church, for this community of believers, God. I just pray that you would pour out your spirit on us. I pray that you would touch those of us who are hurting, that you would restore those of us who are just feeling broken, tired, weary, anxious, whatever it is, God. God, I pray that you would do a work in all of us to recognize that we need each other. Help us to look for opportunities where we can serve and bless and to show love towards our neighbor because we're not in this alone. God, I just pray that you would be with us. God, this church is such a blessing. 
And I pray that there would be no person here that feels neglected, that feels on the fringe, that feels that they aren't a part of it or that they couldn't be a part of it because of whatever reason. God, I just come against those feelings of inadequacy or the feeling of guilt or shame or anything that could be there to cause us to truly step into all that you have for us as individuals and as your church. God, I just lift all these things up to you and I thank you so much. I pray that you bless us as we go. God, I just pray that you give us a great week filled with just your spirit and everything we do, every place we go, that we would be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good week, everyone. (laughs)